The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Thanks for joining us and welcome to episode 21 of The Boys of Tech. I'm Edwin Herman, introducing my co-host, Brett King. Welcome. Howdy. Brett, it's nice to have you hosting the show with me again. What have you been up to this week? Uh, Not a lot. You've been on WoW, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a given. Good, because as a keen gamer, you're going to kick us off with the E3 stories. But not before we introduce our guest uh, this week. He's built a cruise missile, he makes jet engines for fun, and he has one of the longest-running blogs in the world. The man behind aardvark.co.nz is Bruce Simpson. Welcome, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's okay. We're very much honoured to have you on the show. Um, I'm just worried about our wires being tapped by, by governments. Oh, bound to be. That's okay. We'll we'll deal with them. We'll we'll have to speak in code. <laughs> Won't help our listeners. Ones and zeros will do. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay. First story up tonight. Uh, E3, uh, the gaming convention. Now, Brett, uh, you're a king gamer. I'm not. So I'm going to hand that over to you. Okay. Well, I think anybody who's a king gamer will know that. Shockingly, the clear winner of the big E3 announcements was Microsoft. First off, a whole heap of updates to Xbox Live, 1080p high-definition films. What we talked about uh, last week or the week before, the Zoom branding of the um, video market, the video and audio marketplace for Xbox Live. They're also bringing in Last.fm and Facebook and and Twitter being accessible via Xbox Live as well. Oh, that's surprising for them because they've never really seemed to, to be big on the, the mainstream networks and so on. No, no, they haven't. But uh, one of the biggest announcements was the Project Natal. Basically, well, both Sony and Microsoft released big motion-sensitive uh, motion capture announcements for devices to their game consoles. As we already know, Nintendo's Wii is all about motion sensing but microsoft has confirmed a 3d motion capture camera coming out for the xbox 360 called project natal it's very much in its early stages but it looked pretty cool how different is that to the to the wii well the wii is all done with the nunchucks you hold the nunchucks and that's your motion sensitive motion sensors right whereas the Project Natal has a 3D sense, a 3D camera, so it's, um, with depth sensor, multi-array microphone, and it you do your stuff in front of it, and it picks it up, translates it, and brings it into whatever game it is that you're playing. So you're not actually holding any controller or anything. You're not holding anything. In fact, one of the demos that they did, it was they were playing a promotional video of it, was a girl playing a car racing game. And all she was doing was sitting on her couch with her hands up as if she was holding a racing car steering wheel <laughs> and then just steering. And then when she pulled into the pit, one of her family members got up off the couch, 
ran up to the TV screen and acted as if they were changing a tire. <laughs> and, this could be fun. Yeah, yeah, very much, very much. Um, Sony released their version of motion capture, which is based on also using a camera, but using two wands, which looked pretty fun uh, for some of their fighting games. But that's not as clean a solution, is it, as Microsoft's, where where you really don't have anything? No, no, yeah, but we'll see how they go. Both very early on. The wands would be really good for a Harry Potter game, wouldn't they? (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And any game where you're playing with a sword or whatever. Yeah, I wonder what the precision's like, though. They looked pretty good. Once again, if you're really interested, um, YouTube. Yeah, but they'll only, they'll only show you what works. They won't show you all the, the you know, the stuff. That oh yeah, doesn't obviously. Work. Hey, we're talking That's Microsoft here. It all works. Oh, it all works. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> One of the oldest running jokes is, uh, yeah, Microsoft works. But you know, indeed. <laughs> they also announced a whole heap of games, which are coming out as console exclusives for the Xbox 360. But I think one of the most interesting things from that was a game which isn't uh, Xbox 360 exclusive at all, but everybody's hanging out for it, and that's um, the rock band The Beatles. So that'll be fun if anybody's played rock band. Yeah, I've, I've played... Uh, what have I played? At your, I played guitar... Was it Guitar Hero? Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero, yep. okay. I've played that. And you, you, you seem to say that's better than rock band. Yeah, yeah, I I enjoy it more, but well, they're they're much the muchless really. But, right. Um, the controllers are better in World Tour. All right. Any anything disappointing from E3? Nintendo. Nintendo's announcements were really quite disappointing. Nothing massively out there. Um, nothing, you know, game changing. Uh, they're really, really following through with the whole Wii Fit, Wii Aerobics, Wii Sports, which the Nintendo Wii is good at with all its motion sensing technology. They're bringing out a vitality sensor. You know, one of those things that the, the doctors clip onto your finger to measure your pulse? Oh, no. <laughs> they're bringing out a... T- <laughs> they're bringing out one of those for Nintendo, and they're bringing out new family fit games. <laughs> I guess, you know, they really do have to start working on the American obesity problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They've got a niche market. They do there. They do indeed. Uh, the only really interesting thing from a gamer perspective that Nintendo announced was a new Metroid game. And that's got people quite excited. But the rest of it was quite disappointing, really. All righty. All right, well, that's E3. Uh, the other thing, the other big event that took place last week was WWDC, Apple's uh, developer conference. And just running through a couple of, of the announcements there. First of all, they've introduced uh, the new iPhone 3GS, which is supposed to be a lot better. It's supposed to be faster as well. Uh, but also, well, more importantly, they've actually halved the price of the, eight, the existing 8-gig iPhone. Mm. Bruce, did they send you a iPhone 3GS to to try? Well, surprisingly enough, no. Oh. No, I didn't get one of those. Oh. I don't. I have. Um, I'm a bit of a car spec when it comes to cell phones. I have my Motorola brick, which doesn't work <laughs> anymore, unfortunately. Oh yeah, I remember the Motorola bricks. Uh, I think everyone's had one of those phones at one point. Oh no, only the really cool people. <laughs> really cool. They are very you know, like, retro. Well, that was the 80s, man. That was, you know, the disco balls are gone, but that was the big hair era. You had to have a really cool phone to go with that. 
They just don't make them like this anymore. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> Indeed. You, you can I was like thinking of put it in my was, pocket. Yeah, I was thinking of getting. You can buy GSM phone modules now, really small, quite cheap. I was thinking of getting the old brick and, and retrofitting it with a uh, a GSM module, so I can walk around town with my cool brick and still talk to people instead of just pretending. <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> that would be cool. In fact, I'd, I'd pay for. I'd buy one of those if if I could. It's probably a big market because the sixties or the eighties is big again now, isn't it? it yeah, yeah, really. Yes, everyone's really too much of the eighties yeah. has come back. Scary thought. What are, you, what are you trying to say about my shoulder pads? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your shoulder pads are perfectly fine as long as they're not fluorescent. <laughs> so no, I didn't get an iPhone. I mean, I've actually been uh, hoping that uh, Telecom will send me one of their XT mobiles so I can try that out because I've got some good tests in mind. But I have a feeling that they're probably a bit reluctant. Yeah, they're a bit scared of what you're going to say, right? Yeah, the the truth hurts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because so, can you actually reveal what you're planning to do in terms of the tests? Or uh, well, it involves a lot of noise and speed. It involves jet engines, right? It does involve jet engines, actually. <laughs> yes. Come to think of it. And actually, I was just thinking of um, throwing one on a. I've got a jet-powered model aircraft, and just seeing how well they work at speed. Because one of the problems you have with some mobiles actually is that with uh, multi-pathing and all that sort of stuff, you get a lot of dropout when you get a lot of speed up. You, you can tell when someone's traveling really quick because quite often, uh, especially with the old analog stuff, it'd flutter because of the multi-path reflections. So, mm. is is that when it's switching cells, or is that just interference from other? Cells, no, it's just it's because the signal bounces off the surrounding environment. So you actually have a thing called the Fresnel zone where basically a signal bounces off the ground and two signals reach the transmitter. And if you're traveling fast enough, they go in and out of phase and it causes a fluttering effect. And d- digital phones do the same? Not quite the same degree because the, the digital medium, I'm not sure with some of the latest stuff, but I, I suspect that there's a um, um, some kind of buffering and retry system built into it. But I mean, I'm not an expert on cell phone technology or anything else for that matter. <laughs> You're an expert on jet engines and cruise missiles, low-cost well, cruise missiles. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's about my only area of expertise. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, coming back to WWDC, if I can bring this back somehow, Apple have also announced uh, Snow Leopard. Uh, well, they've done a demo, actually, of Snow Leopard. The, well, the upgrade is going to retail for only $29. US Wow. That's that's a departure. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I as you as you know, I run a Mac here. I've got uh, Leopard. I for twenty nine US, I'll, I think I'll buy myself a a copy of Snow Leopard. Yep. And Safari Four was the other thing that was released. Now this I'm excited about Snow Leopard. Well, you know, take it or leave it. It's the next thing on the Mac OS, but it's going to happen sooner or later. But Safari Four is great. I'll tell you why I think it's great because it's the first browser, and I think the only one to date that is Acid Test Three compliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but will my acid test pass browser work with all those front page generated websites? Well, no, of yeah. course not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they use code which is not so that's the real <laughs> test. Not W3 yeah. compliant. Yeah, so that's the real <laughs> test. That's what you're saying, Bruce, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's whatever's out there. I mean, it's good that standards have made a big inroad, but there's still a lot of Microsoft shops that believe that Microsoft is the standard. Yeah, and then mm. you're right. Those the browsers that are compliant, just well, I mean, big you, big deal. I mean, if they don't work on ninety percent of the websites, then well, it doesn't make really a lot of difference. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you know, I've emailed people that are running websites and said, "Look, you, your your website doesn't work with a compliant browser," and they simply email back and say, "You should be using Internet Explorer." <laughs> <laughs> well, that yeah, that's, you'll find with that a lot of those um, websites if they were made for IE six, <laughs> they don't usually work that well in IE eight anyway. <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, IE8 is supposed to bring things back to standards compliancy Indeed. now. But uh, yep. I'm Have not- you noticed how IE8 sounds like um, a cry of pain? IE8. Yeah. Um, I never thought of it that way, but it was very appropriate. Uh, Safari 4 is uh, is going to support, or does support, HTML5 and CSS3. And we talked about HTML5 a little bit last week because uh, YouTube were trialing a, a concept site uh, that involves, well, that's built entirely on HTML5, which means no more browser plugins. So it's good future-proofing for Safari. And uh, the last thing I want to say about WWDC, unless uh, you two want to bring anything up, was that Exchange integration is now there for mail, iCal, and address book all in one. So what what that translates to in the in the real world is that if you are using a Mac, you don't have to configure your mail client to, to talk to Exchange and then your calendar so that you can get meeting requests and then your address book so that you can actually see the global address list. You just do it once and it does it for all three apps. Although you've got to ask yourself the question, how many organizations corporate enough to have a Microsoft Exchange server actually have any Macs? Uh, universities. Well, okay, yeah. But there you go. That's a very, very small... And is all this relevant in the era of cloud computing? Yeah, well, they, well, that's the yeah the other thing. I mean, uh, everything's going cloud computing now. Although, Brett, we talked about this a number of episodes ago, and, and we did a lot. Cloud computing has a lot of potential for consumers, but businesses themselves they want to be able to control their own cloud. So it's more like a mini puff, less of a cloud when it comes to businesses. Yeah, I think you're right. Having their data locally as well as in the cloud or instead of in the cloud is important. And mm-hmm. I mean, just look at the number of times in recent days or recent months that uh, telecoms DSL has gone down or the whole phone network has gone down in regions. What do you do if you're a business? You sit around twiddle your thumbs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Alrighty, in Sweden, the Pirate Party has got a seat in the European Parliament. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I honestly didn't ever think this would actually happen. I thought it was going to... Uh, I had an inkling. Uh, reading some of the blogs and some of the things from the fallout of the um, Pirate Bay lawsuit, you could see it was it was on the horizon. But to see it actually eventuate, that that's that's tremendous. It shows your new generation are getting old enough to vote, eh? Indeed, well, that's a sign of the times, all right. It, it, mm-hmm. Do you think this could be the the start of something bigger in the sense that one day there just might really be no need for copy or no desire to have copyright anymore? There always will be some form of copyright, but I think the, the draconian aspect, the fact, you know, where basically they say um, copyright lasts now effectively forever, that'll fall out. And I think as businesses realise there's more money to be made by changing their business model than simply engaging in endless litigation, we're going to see Indeed. the need for copyright to be significantly reduced because it won't be the key factor by which people extract money from their products. Yeah, you've mentioned exactly. you've mentioned that in your in your blog site uh, a, a number of times, but the thing that people say in response to that is that if we if we do that if we cut copyright down does it does that detract from its value and therefore are we just not going to see the the amount of works produced no you'll always no. see good works one of the things that people you know the reason copyright can be changed is because right now if you're a young um, hip dude you go into a recording studio you lay down a few tracks millions of bucks for maybe what is it like you know a couple hundred hours work you'll get millions of bucks now is that really a good return I mean like is it fair that someone gets paid that much money for that little time that little effort 
because really people that write and are creative, some of them are making a lot, a lot of money. And it's an unfairly large amount, some people believe. And if they went in and they got an hourly rate of, say, 100 bucks an hour, it'd be much fairer. And the, the, you wouldn't need the copyright because, I mean, I have stuff on the net. And I say, this is free. If you liked it, send me a donation. And I don't get rich, but I do get a bit of money out of it. And I think that may be one way to go. I don't expect to earn millions of dollars a, a year from that, but I do get an hourly rate, which is you know gradually creeping up. How many people do you think donate as a proportion? Number. Yeah, it's because it's, I mean I'm I'm one of these people too. I mean when Winamp was on the net and it was the MP3 player and you could download it for free, but they asked you to don't donate money. I donated, and a lot of software I bought like that. You know, I've bought it, or I've downloaded it, tried it. It's good, and I donate what I think it's worth. And I think a lot of people do that. It, it, it's kind of like the same concept as buskers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you if you're out there and you know enjoying yourself out in the public space in in a mall or in the street somewhere, and there's a busker and you like what they're playing and you like what you hear, you put a couple of bucks in and and carry on. Exactly, and if, if that money goes straight to the person, the creative person, the artist, or the the performer or whatever, then. Um, they can earn just as much as they do now. The only people missing out is the industry. They're the ones that are suing people left, right and centre because they're losing their margin because people can now go straight to the performers and buy directly or listen to the music and donate directly. And if you've got a fan base of millions and if they all donate a buck a year, you're still doing pretty damn good. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. And I think that's the key thing, what you just said, that the fact that everything goes to the artist. Yeah, and... It's, it's, it's the middlemen that are the ones that are complaining because they've got the most to lose. So yep. the artists aren't complaining, are they? No, some of them are actually doing very well out of it. And, you know, if you listen to some of them, like, who was it, Janice Ian? Have you seen her bit on, on the net about what the, the recording studios are doing and how little she actually gets of every album that's sold? No, actually, I haven't. But well, look it up on it. Google. Jan- Janice Ian's got a, a big um, monologue about her dealings with the music industry. And she's actually a switch now. I think um, she's selling stuff direct or putting it on the net. And I think she's probably making more money now, now than she ever did. Yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. So uh, with, the, with the, uh, the extra seat there, well, not the extra seat, but the, the, the seat that this pirate party has now got, is that going to have a huge effect, do you think? I mean, it's only one seat. It's a wake-up call, though. It makes a difference. It's, it's infinitely more than the head before. But, uh, and it means that it's direct influence on the government, on policy, the policy-making and approval process. So, yeah, it makes a big difference. Well, uh, well, I guess we'll have to see see how that one goes. But and, uh, as I say, uh, this, this actually could be maybe the beginning of something a little bit bigger, and this might continue. A bit like the Greens. Nope. But they reckon they've got Indeed. parties, they're setting up that party all over the world. There's apparently there's a branch of it in New Zealand somewhere. Oh, is that so, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's becoming a global movement. And I think with young people coming along expecting to be able to get their music for free, they're going to probably, if it goes to an election and those parties appear, they won't grab a lot of the vote, but they'll grab some of the vote. And if you look at how much influence parties like the Greens have had, given their relatively small percentage, I think they, these, these parties can actually change policy and legislation in years to come. Yeah, you're right. We've seen that here with the with the Greens, as you just as you said, they they do have a, a an influence when they enter into coalitions and so on, and and you know some of the policy has to go their way as part of the coalition deal. So yeah, you're right. So there we go. That uh, I, I honestly didn't think this would happen, but but there we have it. <laughs> the Swedish Pirate Party has one seat in the European Parliament. <laughs> but will they issue regular patches? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. I like it. Okay. Uh, that took a while to sink in, as you probably noticed there. Might have to edit out that brief silence while the cogs turned. 
uh, <laughs> all right, Twitter is uh, is now uh, going to issue. No, it's not going to issue patches, but Twitter is going to issue verified badges. Now, the, what the deal is here is that there are a growing number of fake accounts, people that pretend to be. Uh, you know, other people, important people, well-known people, famous people. Police uh, departments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, Twitter kind of want to put a control on this and make sure that when, when you see uh, something like Bill Gates, that it really is the Bill Gates and not someone else who's decided to, to pretend to be Bill Gates from Microsoft. The interesting thing about this is that uh, they, there seems to be a bit of pressure on them because uh, they were actually sued. There was a lawsuit uh, filed in St. Louis uh, just well, knock me down with a feather. An American lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, just another one. But this is a, the thing that I don't really understand. Why they're actually suing the service? This is the the point I wanted to make. That they were suing the service. In other words, Twitter itself for for not uh, filtering out these fake accounts. But but why why would that be the responsibility of the of Twitter? Surely that's exactly. Yeah, if someone sends you a letter and. Yeah, if someone sends you a letter and they address it as being from someone else, does the post office get the boot for it? No, they don't. No, exa- yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's the same thing. It's just um, you know another aspect of America's Sue Happy Society. But I mean, I, this Twitter thing, man. Oh, what a waste of time that is. <laughs> Are you on Twitter, Bruce? <laughs> I have a twi- I have my own Twitter account. I logged in. I set up a Twitter account called XJet. And I've never posted a single tweet, but I have one follower. I don't know who it is. <laughs> it's not <laughs> me. Follow me. Why? I mean, my day is short enough already without relating the minutiae of my every movement through my cell phone or computer to hordes of people who, you know, for whatever reason might want to listen to it. And I don't have time to listen to other people's small bits and pieces of their lives either. I mean, I live my life rather um, interactively, not vicariously. I don't want to, you know, why sit in someone else's shirt pocket? It's just, life's too short. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Having my a, sentiments, exactly. Having a cheeseburger for lunch. It's like, okay, yeah, and... Swallow, swallow, swallow. <laughs> you know, there are it some was tweets. yummy. We, you know, we laugh, but there are some people that tweet like that. Look, I, I feel a bit outnumbered here because I, I do use Twitter, and I do use it, I'll say, regularly, but that, what to me, regularly is like once every two or three days. And I actually think it's kind of... Uh, I like the service. I, I think it's great. And I'll tell you what... It's- I, I tell it's you the what CB I, radio of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but I think this is going to appeal to, to, the, to Generation Y because they're always on their phones. And as you know, you, know, you can get tweets on your phone. And it, it effectively creates a way to, to combine uh, texting and the internet in such a way that you can choose who to listen to and who not to and, and stuff like that and, and, and broadcast to multiple people at once. I think this is going to be really attractive to Generation Y. And if you use Telecom's XT service, after about three weeks, your last tweet will be just gone bankrupt. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> their yes. pricing is a bit yes, out of spec. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, but hey, welcome to the geopolies of New Zealand. Now, the thing that's interesting is that Twitter is going to implement a system to verify you know, accounts so that you can get a verified badge. What they're not offering is that same service to businesses. And I think what people are suspecting here is that the businesses, to get that, are going to eventually have to pay for it. And that's, how the, that's their, their business model. That is what well, we I talked about last time. I haven't read anywhere how they, they explain how this verification process is going to work. What do you have to do? Sort of send them a dollar with your credit card? Or how do they verify that you are you? 
Well, if in the case of a famous person, surely you can they can send a letter to their publicist, and and they can confirm what the t- person's Twitter name is. Wouldn't that work? That's a that's a big expense, and Twitter's already got no revenues. I mean, can they afford to do that? Well, I mean, they can do it by by internet. Would that would that that's would that they, work? Yeah, they're starting with well-known accounts <laughs> that have had problems with impersonation, um, and this is a. a an early launch, a beta phase of its of its um, program. So, I think they are discovering how <laughs> expensive it can be to do these background checks. But so now is the time to set up that domain name that looks like a famous person's domain name and set up a publicist email address on it, eh? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You, <laughs> well, but, but that will get you into a lot more hot water, surely. So no, I don't know. The people they can sue you for trademark infringement. Who knows how they're going to do it? Of course, I, uh, this they may not do it that way. But you're right; it is it is uh, the the questions out there. I mean, how are they going to do this? Well, I mean, if and, I was Twitter, I'd look at it and say, well, hey, you know, the one thing that has got a identity check behind it is a credit card. I mean, that's how PayPal do it, really, isn't it? I mean, if you want to be um, web authenticated with PayPal, you, you use a credit card, and then basically that verifies that you are who you say you are because there's name on the card, and you get the transaction ID. Why doesn't Twitter do that and charge a dollar for each one? And how many people on Twitter? How many million? How much? Look at that first big chunk of revenue. Yeah, it's a good plan. But then, what about the the situations where you have, say, another Bruce Stolen Simpson with a so you got this person with the same? Well, no, the person with the same name genuinely and pretends to be you, Bruce. Well, you you can verify that this person's name is Bruce Simpson. I mean, you, you can't verify that it's the Bruce Simpson, but that's a good step along the way. And that, you could apply that to all the user base. And okay, the very special ones like you know the the you know Obama, you can get in touch with them as they're planning to do now. But just make it available to everyone and just say whack us a dollar on your credit card, and when the transaction goes through, we'll you want you to enter the transaction number in on the website, and that'll verify that you are the name on the credit card. I, I just don't know that that's going to cover all their bases enough. I mean, look. If I really look, if I was if I was imperson, impersonating Obama right now, surely I'd try and hunt down someone who who's got a, the same surname at least, and then uh, and then convince them to to use their credit card for this. Yeah, that's a lot of work, though. And I mean, I'm talking about the average guy on the street. You know, you want to be, you know, you want to be, um, say, you want to register your name as Edwin Herman. Then you know, the odds of another Edwin Herman trying to pinch pill for your account, and there may be more than one Edwin Herman. So. Um, but it does mean at least there's a, a one basic level of, ven- of validation or, or authentication. And above that, you can have another level which involves you know, further proof. But that basic level just means you can then uh, be assured that the person you're talking to on Twitter who you think has got a certain name does actually have that name. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. That it, it does reduce numbers a lot. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Trade Me have, trade me have that uh, address val- verified where they send you a letter. I mean, you could give your neighbour's address and just go through their mail every day. Yeah, There's always true, weaknesses yeah. in any scheme yeah, like that's that. That's true. So, so you're yes. looking for the for the best uh, best effect for for one that generates revenue and one that's simple. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's all speculation about the businesses having to pay for that, but uh, it, it kind of the fact that they're not offering the service to businesses does suggest that that may well be what they're going to do. Have you noticed that, that this whole Twitter thing is just like 1999, the dot-com boom? We've got this really good product and we've got heaps of people using it. Well, how do you make money? Oh, we don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. It's a bit like podcasts, really. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, actually, there were some stories uh, and studies done, actually, uh, about Twitter. Only 10% of Twitter's user base accounts for 90% of Twitter traffic. Sounds about right. And the yeah. median number of tweets is one. 
So Maybe that's me. <laughs> you're, you're in that. Indeed. You're in that over fifty percent grade. Yeah. No, I, did, I didn't tweet at all. I'm zero. I'm just below the median. Oh yeah, you're below. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, they've got all these people who've signed up for Twitter, and and, and that low ratio. When it comes to uh, monetizing those users, they're going to have such a big problem because it's like anything on the internet. People will use it when it's free, but you try taking money off them, and they'll find something else. Google Wave something to be on the lookout for. I mean, it's going to replace a bit of Twitter functionality, and it may be that by through Synergy, Twitter may be what um, the original, um, what was that first instant messaging product that we all used years ago? ICQ. ICQ. Remember ICQ? And what do people use now? They use Yahoo Messenger, Microsoft Messenger. It was it broke new ground, but then other products came along and took the market away. Ah, hmm. so so Google Wave could 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 well do that to Twitter. I'm thinking it may well do. I think Twitter has established that there's a demand for a particular product, but first entries into the market seldom become the dominant player because other companies come along, they see what the market wants, they can produce a better product, and right from the get-go, that first impression, wow, this is a great new product, we'll use this. And there's nothing yeah. to bind people to the Twitter product. There's no no need for brand loyalty. You can change instant messenger providers and you can provide change Twitter providers real easy. Well, what, what about uh, critical mass? Um, well, I think it's... The thing is that Twitter is such a, a rapid, instant medium that if someone on Twitter says, I'm changing to whatever now, then the people following him will change too. And suddenly everyone's gone. Yep. If I wouldn't invest in Twitter. I mean, they, yep. they ramp it up, make it sound really good, but they really don't have a model to make money out of it. Do you think there's a lot more hype than than's deserved? Oh, huge hype. A few celebrities have said, oh, I'm on Twitter, you know, and everyone goes, well, we'll go on Twitter too. And then so you've got these huge throngs of people all tweeting and, you know, but there's no one standing there collecting the coins. All right, so what we've concluded is I'm the only sucker here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Moving. You're special. <laughs> We're unanimous on that. <laughs> okay, moving right along then. Uh, Europe is to get a Windows 7 version without IE. So this is part of the, uh, the rules in, in Europe that uh, uh, you know, prevent Microsoft from bundling Internet Explorer. And the, the idea is that uh, consumers get better choice because they're not forced to use IE. And when I say forced, I say that because, let's face it, when you've got a browser, you're not going to go and download another one unless you really need to or want to. Most, And we, we know this. I mean, why else is Internet Explorer such a, a dominant player in that market? Because it's a fabulous product. Oh, yes. That, that's the other reason. Yeah, don't, just don't tell yes, everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason that Internet Explorer has dominance is because it is the one that's there by default. And all of your <laughs> non-computer literate people with computers use what's there. The greatest marketing tool of all, inertia. Indeed. This whole thing, I don't know, I'm not convinced that this is going to work because uh, PC manufacturers can still bundle it as part of the package they sell you. So yeah. the only time in Europe you're going to see uh, a machine without a browser at all is when a user goes in and buys Windows 7 from the shop. I'm not, I'm not really convinced that that's going to be a, a huge percentage of the market. I mean, yeah, re retailers will, will bundle Internet Explorer because they don't want someone ringing up saying, I've got Firefox and I can't do this. They yeah. want basically to say, we'll go and see Microsoft. Yeah, exactly. Microsoft yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll, either, they'll either include IE by default anyway because, uh, as you said, uh, the little old lady who gets a computer home and discovers there's no way to access the Internet and her son was telling her all about how awesome the Internet is is going to ring up and complain. So it'll have to have some sort of browser bundled in and it'll almost certainly 
be IE that gets stuck back on there. But then the manufacturers still have the ability to bundle either a different browser or a, you know, a couple of browsers on there for the, the user to decide which one they want to use themselves. But uh, not a single retailer is going to bundle a package without IE, right? Probably not. Unless, no, unless the um, manufacturer itself was anti-IE. Which case and I wouldn't think they'd put two browsers in there because that doubles the support burden anyway. Or you just have it built into your contract that um, IE, you know, internet browsers are not covered by support. Yeah, and Microsoft will say, if you bundle our browser, we'll do this for you behind scenes. You know? Indeed. Yeah. We'll give you a, a better price. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of that goes on, and I think the, this actually the, the this whole thing. I think I mean Opera have come out and, and actually said that you know I don't think that this is the right solution either. What they would like is that uh, when you first connect to the internet, you get a choice of browsers and uh, to download, and you pick one and go for it, and that's your browser. Um, and not, what happens for those poor people on dial-up? Sorry, what's what's dial-up? What? Dial-up, you know, that's, that's um, DSL, like, telecom provides. Oh, I, actually, well, actually, that's It's right. DSL light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, that, that, is, that is a downside. But uh, I, I'm actually not convinced that solution will be the best either. But uh, that, that's what they want, and they're not convinced that... Well, in that case, you wouldn't have it so that it's downloadable. Why not create a, you know, a nice multi-install package? a bunch of different browsers on there and the user can choose which one they want to use and it uninstalls the rest. It's not that hard. Well, no. no that's... It boils down again to the whole issue of uh, Microsoft-specific websites and there are more of those than there are Firefox or any other specific website. And so if you go with IE as a dealer, you're pretty much assured that your users are going to get a good surfing experience. If you go with Firefox, then all those compliance sites, no problem. But if they go to a Microsoft front page site and it could come crumble down a big heap. So you, you ship them with um, Internet Explorer. The thing is, there's no real solution to this problem, though, is there? There is no, no. solution to it, no. No, it's, it's going to be a problem for the Europeans, but they, you know, good on them for doing the good, the right thing and trying to break up Microsoft's sort of ownership of the desktop to some degree. But it, there's a price to pay, and that's going to be convenience. I guess uh, the the only thing is that the market share of Internet Explorer has been decreasing steadily in Europe. What I'm getting at is maybe this will you know die a natural death anyway, regardless of the you know what the EU impose. I doubt it because Microsoft's bound to come out with some new functionality that will be on top of the standards that IE embraces. They'll have some extra extensions of their own that they will be using and that other browser users won't be able to enjoy. They've kind of had a history of that, haven't they? Alrighty, in France, they've uh, thrown out the three strikes law. Indeed. (laughs) It's unconstitutional. Good on them for (laughs) finally taking a stand, somebody. New Zealand sets a trend. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, well, that's right. We were one of the first ones to... to yeah, but we didn't throw it out because because it was unconstitutional. We threw it out because it would have been too hard for the telcos to manage. They couldn't decide on how to manage it. That's the only reason it got thrown out here. So we're I still a little on the backward side there. I thought it was because that guy, that UK actor guy, made his pictures go black. Blackout campaign. I thought it was because he got involved. They went, "Ooh, he's really important. We better follow what he's doing." <laughs> Stephen Fry, yeah, yeah. They're listening to his tweets. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so look, this is common sense, right? I mean, the French uh, Constitutional Council has said no, no. Uh, what I know, what, what was passed in the in the lower um, parliament was is, is no longer valid. And I know you, you you're all voted for it, but uh, we can't have people presumed guilty unless proven innocent. Indeed, and <laughs> they really, really ripped into it about the all on that principle of innocence until proven guilty. <laughs> dredging up quotes from the the French Revolution, in fact. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) This is not constitutional. I think maybe they're a little scared of public opinion too because have you seen the French farmers protesting when when something happens in respect to their their products? I mean, they burn trucks and they tip things over and they, you know, they oh, mayhem breaks loose in France. I'll give the French one thing. They stand up for their rights in a big, big way and they're not afraid to go out in the streets and make a hell of a noise about it. And I think if this had been passed through, there would have been rioting and looting in the streets and, you know, probably the government thought, oh, Best we don't do this next part, and yeah, you know, best we don't care. Best yeah. we don't incite another revolution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Revolution two thousand and nine. <laughs> Bruce, you've in, in your blog you've mentioned a number of times how uh, our laws are uh, seem to be changing so much more these days that you have to prove your innocence. Yeah, that's mm. a, a real trend. Is the, suspe- the the presumption of guilt is becoming endemic within the whole strata of legislation, and I think because it makes it easier. I mean, if you can presume. Um, guilt, then the onus goes on the person that you've accused to prove their innocence. So the burden comes off the prosecution and it makes it much cheaper and easier to administer the law. So but we've got to stand up for it because it's very incremental. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. I mean, when I, I remember when I was young and dinosaurs roamed the world, you, you could jump in your car, you could drive around. The police would not stop you to breath test you or to check your license or anything like that unless you committed a road traffic offence. Now they can stop you anywhere presuming that you've committed an offence and they want to see your rego, they want to see your licence, they want to check your vehicle, they want to see if you've been drinking, driving, and really, if you are not breaking the law, you have the you should have the right to go along and not be bothered by any kind of law enforcement and be presumed to be innocent. Indeed. So do you think that this is actually part of their plan or it's just the way things are going naturally? Like, did you they're think this is all a planned... Uh, well, they're just trying to make life easy for themselves. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, it's so much easier if you can presume guilt. And I mean, that's, you know, um, we'll see more and more of it. And it, it won't change because basically, you know, they like to streamline their operations and it's much easier just to say, well, you're guilty, prove, prove you're not. The thing, yeah, yeah. The, the thing that worries... It's, it, it's the um, the new trend, especially for um, these, uh, for the anti-piracy advocates, is the fact that they've spent all the, the big music, big movies, they've spent so much money doing the individual one-on-one civil cases, the having to hunt down and prove that somebody is guilty of something and then taking them to court. And they've had all of those high-profile cases where things have been thrown away or dismissed and somewhere they've won, but it's cost them so much money to do that. That's why they've been pushing for this you know, graduated scheme of it's now you're guilty until proven innocent and you have to prove you're innocent and the weight gets lifted off our shoulders. We don't have to take you to court anymore. Your ISP is just going to disconnect you. And they're all for that because it costs them way less money and it covers everybody. Whereas the current way, they have to take you on one-on-one and it costs them a lot of money to do it. So, So just to take the flip side, Surely it must be hard for the governments to successfully prosecute when they know full well that someone has been breaching the copyright law or whatever it might be. 
but they it's just so much effort to, to actually to prove that. But it's got nothing to do with the governments. The governments aren't the ones prosecuting. Exactly. It's the it's the music industry. It's the movie industry. They're the ones prosecuting. They're the ones paying. They're the ones being hurt by the cost of having to go after a single copyright user, and they want to shirk the cost of going after copyright users and pass that on to the ISPs to just govern and they'll blame someone and send it on to the authority and the authority will go, okay, I'll send it on to the ISP and the ISP goes, snip, no more internet for you, you bad copyright abuser. Okay, that's what they're uh, trying yeah, to do. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the government. All right, you, you, okay, you're right. It's, it's, the, it's the music companies in the case of, say, copyright for music that that initiate the cases, that's true. But yeah. the, the argument still remains, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it harder for them to to prosecute? Uh, you know, to successfully prove your your guilt than it is it's for someone else to, to prove their innocence. No, it is meant to be difficult for them to prove your guilt. That is the whole point of innocence in, until proven guilty. But in the case of internet copyright, it's isn't it really hard to get evidence? Whereas, I mean, you know, if there's a murder, there's How all do sorts you prove of things your that you. Could, how does the, you know, little old lady prove her innocence when her daughter used her computer and possibly downloaded a song? Maybe. Could you, well... How okay. do you prove you did? How do you prove you didn't? How it also do you goes tie back, it down to, it goes the back to the Pirate Bay thing as well because basically a lot of the thrust seems to be that, well, peer-to-peer -peer is, is all illegal traffic. But it's not. P2P stuff, there's a lot of stuff goes around P2P, which is quite legal, quite legitimate. But what they're trying to say is if you run P2P, then you are breaching copyright and, and yeah. or you use P2P. So how long before the, the music industry looks at the um, says to the ISPs, we want a profile of all the traffic and we want to pick all the people that are using P2P protocols and we want you to disconnect them because we believe that they're infringing copyright. Now, that's a scary thought. Indeed. And that's where this sort of law could go. And that's exactly why Pirate Bay got shut down because it wasn't because they, they weren't supplying anyone with any copyrighted material. No, you're they right. They were just facilitating through P2P and they by association were guilty. So the same thing could happen with that, um, that set up in the three strikes. Same thing happened to a, um, what was it, Spanish? Uh, Spanish um, college student who wrote a peer-to-peer -peer application and he's being taken to court in Spain by the Spanish music industry being charged exorbitant amounts of money because he provided a peer-to-peer -peer application. So, so the music companies are really desperate to, to save their own business? They are desperate to save a dinosaur of a business model. Yeah, they're as thick as two planks and keep shooting themselves in the foot at every turn. Look how long they, they balked against digital downloads. Oh, no, yeah. it's going to be the death of the industry. Now it's the saviour of the industry. It's the only thing keeping them going yeah. because CDs, they keep telling us that CD sales are tanking. But, I mean, digital that's downloads. That's because are, it's a change of the way. Yeah. yeah. How, many, how many cassette tapes have they sold recently? <laughs> yeah, I only exactly. bought a couple last month. <laughs> <laughs> because, only because I couldn't get the eight tracks. <laughs> See, it's a change yeah. in business model. So it's, it's a change yeah. in media, and they've got to get with it or go away. But that's the problem, though. They see those big, fat margins they're making, and they don't want to lose grip of them. And they see every time they change further along the track, it's making it easier and easier for the, cus the consumer and the producer to connect without them. And they don't want to get pushed out of the equation. Digital yeah. downloads, they didn't want to go there because they knew that once they – what they basically validated digital downloads as, a, as a, a realistic method of distributing music, then there was nothing to stop the, the artists connecting directly with their fans and selling outside of the recording industry loop. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and that's been happening. Just look at the number of indie artists who are going, putting their music directly onto iTunes without going through a production company, without going through one of the, the big names. They're just straight away going to iTunes. Yeah, they're the blacksmiths of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So if that happens, what's going to... What what are the uh, music companies going to be reduced to? They'll still use uh, cars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they will become obsolete. What's there's no reason that they can't be their own digital distributor. Well, you know, I'm actually surprised that they haven't started their own service. Their own iTunes, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, yeah, the problem problem is that they're too fat. They're too used to having huge margins and having huge amounts of money to throw around. And once you go through the digital download, where people can see that. I'm not even getting a piece of plastic for my money. People want to pay less money for the for the material. And so mm-hmm. what's going to happen is that there's not going to be the fat margins for, to support the current structure. So I think what's going to happen is recording industries will have to become publicists. And they, they will take a cut on the money that the artist makes in return for promoting that artist. Instead of the artist getting a cut on the sales, the studios will get a cut on the sales and the artists will get the money and pay the studios. Yep, as the way it should be. They're yeah. there to promote and publicize the, the artists and... That's their job, and they should embrace it. They just don't want to accept it, though, do they? They don't no. want to accept the huge margin they get from selling a piece of plastic for exorbitant prices full of songs which you probably don't like. So this- just, to get, just to get right off topic, that's one thing that really, really has always annoyed, annoyed me about the music industry. You go into a music store and you buy a CD. What are you buying? They don't actually tell you. You, you say, okay, I'm buying a piece of plastic. Which means, okay, if I bought this piece of plastic with a patent on it, why can't I make a copy of it? Oh, no, you can't because you've actually only bought a license to use the music. You say, okay, well, I've got a license for the music, but my CD got scratched. Can I get a replacement for the cost of the media? Oh, no, you have to buy a new CD even though you've got a license already. Yeah. They, they won't. They're not fair. Yeah, no, that, that's wrong. No, that, yeah, that, I, I totally agree with you. That's wrong. Yeah. The other thing is you, you get rotted so many times. You go down to the, the local CD store and you buy a CD of a particular track or a particular album. You think, great, now you've paid for the right to listen to that music. But then you want to, you're not allowed to rip that legally. You've got to go and buy a digitally downloaded copy if you want it on your media player. So you're going to pay again for that. And then you go into a, a, a cafe and you sit down and it's playing on the radio. Now, the cafe owners had to pay APRA, whoever it is, for the right to have that radio playing. So you've paid for it three times because that price goes onto your coffee. So how many times do you have to pay for one license? Yeah, there's double dipping, there's triple dipping. Yeah. 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 How many times do you have to pay to listen to that piece of music? One thing that also amazes me is that if you look in the copyright laws, at least as they apply to New Zealand and a number of other countries, it's illegal to supply a device for the purpose of defeating copyright. Right? So how come Sony can sell us music and sell us a CD burner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there are plenty of legitimate uses for a CD burner. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. There's plenty of legitimate uses for P2P too, but they shut down Pirate Bay. <laughs> Indeed. There's plenty, Indeed. Of, plenty of legitimate uses for a Stevens Vivid Marker that you can run around the outside of a CD as well. Yep. Yeah, it's it, it just it, that doesn't make sense. Stay tuned for further developments in this area of the market, eh? Let's hope. Well, it's inevitable. Yeah. It, is. it is. I mean, I, I only download and listen to indie music now. I mean, I've found good sources of indie music on the net. And to be honest, the variety is greater. The music's fresher. It's not all compressed, you know, so it's just constant drone. It's, it's got dynamic range. It's, it's, it's good stuff. And so why, why would I even bother paying for music when I can download stuff? And when I find an artist I like, I'll fling him a few bucks. Do you find you have to sort through more dross yep. to, to find the good yep. stuff? Yes, and that's where there's going to be a great, great potential for someone to come along with value add and say, 
I've looked at all these tracks, or listened to all these tracks, these are the ones that are good. And those people, or those, even like the music industry can do it, these are our recommended list. And there's value in providing that condensed format, the aggregation of music and the filtering out of all the rubbish. And by doing that, those people can add value to the product. They can charge for that service in one way or another, either charge the, the people who create the content or charge the people who want to subscribe to such a service. So there's, there's new markets opening up all the way along. Yep. So which do you think is going to be the dominant model? It's going to be the pay TV model. You'll pay a monthly fee, and I've advocated this for a long time. ISPs should get on this. What they need is a central body. On top of your regular internet bill, you pay an extra five bucks a month, which gives you access to all the music and back catalogs and everything, and you can download and listen to them five bucks a month. And it gives you the right to keep them and use them on any media player you've got. And by doing that, the price is low enough that everyone would do it. They're not worth downloading illegally if you can pay five bucks and have access to the whole catalogue. And if every, or even half the internet users in the world signed up to such a service, that's far more revenue than the record companies make every year by droves. So more money for the, for the music industry, better convenience for the customer, and the whole copyright issue just disappears. And so you're not talking about micropayments, right? Because you're paying a, a $5 no, no. fee to your, and it's divvied up later. It's like Sky TV. You subscribe to Sky TV, you get to look at all the channels, you can record stuff, keep it on tape, do whatever you like um, for as long as you want to, and you're paying a flat monthly fee for access to all that material. And as new releases come out, you can download those as well. So if you had, I don't know how many people are, say you had 100 million people all paying five bucks, that's, that's $500 million a month. Now, how much does a recording industry make in a year? Is it, what's is that $6 billion a year? I mean, once you take, remember all the overheads are out, there's no need to press CDs or do covers or all that sort of stuff. It's just a case of dumping files on a server somewhere and collecting the money. Yeah, look, if the price is right, I, I'd, I'd pay for that. I'd, I'd sign up. Yeah, and they do it with video in the form of pay TV. Why not do it with music? Yeah, you're actually not the only one to, to suggest that that's the model. I think uh, a lot of analysts are, are suggesting that the subscription model is going to be the one, although not quite as you've described, not through ISP, but, but I think the concept of subscription is, is going to be the, the model going forward. I think ISPs have got a big role to play in the future as basically agents for services like this. I mean, because someone could set up, like we've got you know, subscription music services now, you pay so much a month, you can access a catalogue of material, but there's, there's a whole lot of different ones, and so you've got to make payments to this, this service, payments to that service, payments to that, and yeah. it becomes messy. Yeah. If your ISP can act like a billing service, like the post office does, you pay your power bill and your phone bill and that sort of stuff for the post office, same sort of thing. So just they tack on the end of your ISP monthly account, the services, it might be music subscription, it might be um, downloadable TV content subscription, and those get tacked on as a value add, the ISP takes a little clip on the ticket, so they're keen to promote them and provide them. And all those other people, it saves them all the billing, individual billing of clients. They just get a statement from the ISP says, we have 500 customers that are taking your service. Here's 500 times your monthly fee. Thank you. So why hasn't anyone done this? Is it just that they haven't had the foresight or, or that the music they industry isn't going to... Or do you think the music... What do you think it's, it's all music? about thinking outside the square, and it's also about the trouble with the music industry is they all want to believe that they are the only ones that can do the job properly, and they, they haven't yep. embraced the benefits. They're just looking at the negatives. They, they can't see the, the forest for the trees. They'll have to eventually, or they'll die. Yeah, yeah. So, so they may not want to play ball. They may no, not. They, I mean, they, TV content the, does. Yeah. With TV, you've got the Discovery Channel, you've got the History Channel. All those have been brought together by Sky and delivered in one package that you can just pay one fee for. Yeah, that'd be nice to have uh, for music. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All righty. Well, that's the international stories done. Uh, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll look at the uh, New Zealand stories for this week. All right. Welcome back. The first uh, New Zealand story up this week 
is, uh, as you may know, there's been an, an alleged breach of the National DNA Profile Data Bank, which is managed, what effectively is a you know, government organisation. Do we trust the government to keep our data secure? Is, no. Is, is, is this, <laughs> that's the answer, right? No. Okay, yeah. next story. <laughs> Sometimes I think that people are being a little unfair. Is Surely if this was managed by uh, a pr- private enterprise, it would this, these kind of things happen. Yeah, but if you look at the particular instance, they've, they've ca- caught the person allegedly responsible and they've been basically discharged with diversion or something. That shows the priority that the government is giving to making sure that these databases are secure. If they were really, really keen to make these things secure, they would have said, this person is broken in, let's make an example of them, let's put them in jail or whatever it is. But if you can break into a supposedly secure database or, or access a supposedly secure database, steal information and get diversion, what does that tell you about the priority they're giving to security? Mm. It Well, it really depends on how it is, <laughs> what relation this person has to the DNA database. It was a staff member from, uh, ah, from ESR. So very much like what happened at IRD, where, yeah. where the, the person sitting at the computer doing the regular job with their regular access decided to do some personal stuff. Yeah, dip into the, the database. Machine. What can you do with the DNA profile? Oh, I'm going to look at my neighbor's DNA profile. Woo, look at that. Look at those dots. That's C-T-G-A-C-G-A. wonderful. C-T-G-A-C-G-A. What is it that you could do with, with it there? And what, it depends on what information she was taking from there and who it was that they, she was divulging that information to. But again, but if the it, if DNA it database is the DNA database of, it's the criminal DNA database, yes. isn't it? Yeah. So just by disclosing that a person exists on this DNA database, you're disclosing that this person has a criminal past criminal to whoever right, it yeah. is that yeah. you're passing that information on to. So that's an invasion of privacy right there. Yeah. Thing, it's all thing, about the fact that it's an invasion of privacy and depending on what you – well, it's irrelevant to what use she was trying to give about that, any of that disclosure and invasion of privacy. And there should have been some method of keeping track of who gets access to it, for what reasons, and do they really need to. Well, the thing that annoys me most is that a person who is employed in that position has a gr- should be receiving a greater punishment if they uh, abuse that privilege by accessing the data rather than someone who might have hacked. If you hacked in, okay, fair enough. But if you actually work there and you're basically supposedly a responsible person that won't abuse that position and you do, then you should get double the whammy for it. I mean, you know. Indeed, but, uh, indeed. Hopefully yeah. this person no longer is employed there. And yeah, but, uh, Being fired isn't enough. I mean, because, you know, no, basically no, that means anyone can say. There a criminal conviction here. Yeah. I mean, diversion is what you get for, for first-time shoplifting or something, you know, where you might have stolen a packet of ciggies from the local dairy, but not for something that involves a secure database run by the government in which private information is stored supposedly securely. And then governments yeah. are now wondering why people are so worried about privacy and, you know, giving up their rights and so on. Well, this isn't really helping them, is it? No. And I mean, one thing with the DNA, I, when I first thought about it, I thought, well, what, what use is it stealing someone's DNA profile? But then I thought again, I did some research and... I mean, there are a lot of diseases now that can be tested for genetically, and I don't know that these DNA profiles actually give that information, but in theory, perhaps, you could take someone's DNA profile. An insurance company might say, look, we've got a customer, we're a bit concerned about them, we haven't given them a policy, can you do a quick check for us and tell us whether they, you know, send us their DNA profile? And they have a look and go, oh, they could get lung cancer or they could get Parkinson's or whatever, and say, no, sorry, we're not going to insure you. That's commercially valuable information. 
There's also the private detective who finds a hair, or <laughs> gets past a hair by some wife and checks it against some information from the DNA database and discovers that, oh, yes, this belongs to such and such a person, which means your husband was committing, having an affair or whatever. It's being able to identify people by picking up a, a stray hair or piece of skin or whatever. It's an extension, an illegal extension of what that data bank is there to do for law enforcement, so not this for is, the private sector. So this is, no doubt, this is a valuable resource, right? Yeah. It is a valuable resource that could be abused in all manner of ways. And this this breach has shown that it's possible for it to become used in inappropriate ways. Well, as I said, no no wonder the you know no wonder people are worried about their privacy and you know when governments are entrusted in looking after their their data, it's no wonder. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, New Zealand's finally getting an Android phone. It's going to be uh, a HTC Magic, and it's going to be on the Vodafone network. Now, Bruce, they haven't sent Apple hasn't sent you an iPhone, but are they going to send you an HTC Magic? No, it's back to the Motorola. Oh, the, the old the brick. Yeah, oh. yeah but actually, the, the, these um, these fancy new phones like the iPhone and the, and the uh, Android phone, I I don't know that I actually want one because I like a really small phone. When I went to the states back in oh, about six years ago, they couldn't believe how small my cell phone was. They had these big phones, and I had this tiny. I had a little tiny Motorola T170 or something, a little wee tiny phone. And even the phone I've got now, a little Nokia, is a really small phone because it just does voice and text really, and. I can stick it in my pocket and wander around in my jeans and T-shirt and don't have to worry about it. But what happens when you have these iPhones and these big fancy phones? Where do you put them on a summer's day when you're wandering around in your jeans and a T-shirt? You can't put them in your pocket. You walk away and, you, and you've lost it. Yeah, and also the touchscreen and your keys and things. If you've got the keys in the same pocket, oh, yeah. it all gets messed up Bad. and won't work anymore. But um, mm. st- having said that, there is, as, as we know, there are people out there that, that like these phones. There is a market for them, and that's why they're there. There is a market for these, for the yeah, internet-capable devices. I, I I made a prediction some time ago that the and I might be wrong on this. I'm starting to think that the Android phones would be confined to a market of you know tech geeks and and, and that's it. But uh, uh, look, I I think I'm getting proved wrong. This is I think these will these will go fairly mainstream. I think they will as well. They've definitely got the iPhone has proven its appeal in the mainstream market and in the business market. I was surprised at the the, the business uptake of iPhones. Well, it was slow to start with, but uh... it was slow to start with. But it picked up as they discovered all of the different things that they would be able to do with them. They wouldn't need to take their you know take their laptops to all of the stuff that they're going to because they can do tons of it with their little iPhone. And the HTC Magic has, from the reviews I've read, got a pretty good interface, obviously leveraged off of the the Android interface, but the on-screen keyboard has been raved about as being really responsive and always there. It doesn't have the multi-touch features of the iPhone, but you don't really miss it. So for those in that market, it's another good choice. I know what we're not going to see that we did with uh, the iPhone. We're not going to see people camping outside the Vodafone stores overnight. No, well, why, no, why it doesn't that? quite with, have the appeal. Why is that the, with Apple products that people just camp out there? Are, are they style? But it's all about is, keeping up with people. But this it's is Apple fanboys. <laughs> it must be the fan. It must be because look, this phone is styly. The, the this uh, HTC Magic. It's nice. It's 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 a very nice phone. 
But I, I guarantee you, people are not going to be queuing, you know, outside the night before. Why, why aren't people wanting to get in line first for this? But they do for Apple. I don't understand it. Because it's not marketed as well as the iPhone. There are no glitzy ads on TV showing how if you have one of these phones, you become a sex symbol and you're, you, you are one of the inset. Mm. It's marketing, isn't it, as you said, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be. It's, well, it's, Apple's basically, apart from the fact that it, it's usually got a really good user interface, Apple's key to success has been it's very, very slick marketing. Yep, I think you're right. And uh, they've built up a fan base, definitely. Alrighty, last story tonight. We've, we've talked about Twitter a lot tonight, and you guys are going to shoot me down, uh, I think, if I talk about it too much. But uh, Twitter texts are now live for New Zealand, which means that New Zealanders can send tweets by <sighs> sending texts to... <laughs> Yes, yawn. <laughs> I'm, I'm over the moon for you, Edwin. Yeah. I'm all right. over the moon you, for you. guys you. can go now. I'll just say this piece on my own, all right? <laughs> so, uh, no, yeah, this, it's, it's good to see that they haven't uh, cut us out from the, from the rest of the world, as often happens with a lot of, lot of things. So, um, But you guys don't, obviously don't really care. So, no. <laughs> I don't even have one of those, all the texts you can eat for a 10 buck plans. I just have 20 cents a text, so it wouldn't suit me. Yeah, look, I actually, I must admit, I'm not typical of the market either. I've got a, a plain phone that doesn't do any multi. I can't even receive multimedia text on this thing. It's hopeless. But um, I, as long as I can receive my Twitter, I'm happy. <laughs> we're happy for you then. <laughs> we're happy for you, Evan. I don't like the way you guys say that. <laughs> <laughs> Just another avenue for fishing. Alrighty, all right. Thanks very much, uh, Bruce, for joining us. Uh, no problem, Bruce. Uh, where can people find you on the net? They can find me at ardvark.co.nz because dub 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 is now redundant. True, <laughs> ardvark.co.nz. All right, thank you very much, uh, Brett. Thank you very much for hosting the show with me. Always a pleasure, Edwin. All right, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you all again next week for episode twenty-two. Until then, good night. Yeah.